legalizefreedom.com. Why are we here? Where do we come from? Where are we going? From the nature of reality to the future of humanity. Listen without limits. Unchain your brain. Change your thinking. Change your life. LegalizeFreedom.com Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and my guest today is Andy Thomas who joins us to discuss his book, The New Heretics, Understanding the Conspiracy Theories Polarizing the World. Through their part in some huge controversies, conspiracy theorists are being branded the number one enemies of our time, the new heretics. They are seen to threaten the very fabric of modern society, spreading doubts and fears that result in Washington capital invasions, transmission mass burnings, or the spread of anti-vaccine material. Yet the theorists prefer to call themselves truth seekers and see the mainstream establishment as the real disruptor, treating its increasingly harsh censorship as direct validation of their views. In truth, the new heretics, whose numbers are swelling, are symptoms of a wider polarization splitting apart much of the world in ideological divisions. Many have lost trust in politicians and the media, while nuanced debate is crushed and information overload and manipulation breeds uncertainty, civil unrest and mental health issues. How does the age-old strategy of divide and rule play out in such an environment? Along the way, we examine the links between 9-11 and the COVID crisis, the role of technology in making matters even worse, and the potential outcomes if governments and media simply refuse to engage with those that they view as dangerous fringe elements. Hello and welcome, Andy, and thank you so much for joining us once again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me back. It's been a while. It has, in fact, uh, for long-time listeners, it's 2012 uh, was when you were on, and we were discussing the, uh, it was April 2012, and we were discussing all the hype around that year, you know, that date, and the prophecies, and, and this, that, and the other thing, and what might come to pass, you know, none of which did, of course. <laughs> Oh, well, some might argue that. I mean, no, not in the way that some had imagined, but I do think it's quite difficult to look back at what's happened in the years since 2012 and think there's been no shift of any kind. Um, and, you know, I, I do wonder that maybe what all those prophecies were talking about was a kind of an underlying knowledge or somehow a foreknowledge that we were about to enter a period of, you know, great difficulty. Uh, I don't, I think, don't think anybody would think that isn't the case now. Whether it relates or just coincidence, I don't know. But I, I was happy personally that what all that did was make me aware that I needed to be ready, that things could shift or change at any point. And even though, yeah, it wasn't the great ascension all on one day or anything like that, um, nonetheless, I think it, it put people into a state of readiness uh, and, and I'm thankful for that, as it turns out. Yes, I suppose what I was referring to was the literal interpretation of a, a rapture-like event, you know, um, happening in on, on a single day, perhaps, um, yeah. or a short period of time. But you're certainly right. I mean, things have accelerated in terms of, uh, you know, human consciousness and experience on this planet 
since that time. I trace that back personally to um, to 9-11. For me, that was a, a major consciousness shift, uh, not just personally, but I think for a lot of other people as well. And I think 2012, uh, whatever it was or was not, uh, simply added to that. I think you're right. Um, I mean, I think what 9-11 did, of course, was on one level, it was so huge. It was the biggest sort of very negative event we'd had in a long time that everybody tuned into it, everybody knew about. But then, of course, the other side of that was then the doubts that very quickly crept in um, very widely that maybe we weren't being given the whole picture on that. And that's not gone away. I know some people would like to think it's gone away, but it really hasn't. Uh, and so that did change a lot of people. I think, you know, I know many people that began really with 9-11 in their questioning of what was going on around them because what they were being told about that event just didn't seem to click at all with what you could observe of it. Um, there are so many anomalies, and I mean, rather than rate through them all here, you know, I would definitely recommend people find out before they dismiss so-called 9-11 conspiracy theory because whichever way you look at it uh, we weren't told the whole truth uh, and some will say we weren't told any of the truth at all uh, but yeah that was a big uh, moment for many people and I think from there on they began to question anything and everything which is of course slightly where we're at today. Yeah in fact I did a uh, a, a vlog entitled COVID-9-11 a warning from history, which was drawing parallels between the situation back then and what's happening right now, because uh, I think there are many. Uh, one thing I normally do, Andy, at the top of the hour is to invite guests to just tell listeners who are not aware um, a little bit about their background and work. So we should do that before we move on. So why don't you introduce yourself and, uh, you know, as say for people who don't know. For sure. Well, um, I've been researching what I kind of lumped together as truth and mysteries for about 30 years now. And I began very much coming in at the more paranormal end, UFOs, crop circles. That was my introduction. And irrespective of anybody's belief about them, whether they think it's all a load of rubbish or not, they opened a doorway, as I think they did for many people, just to look around and think, well, hang on. If nothing else, the media is not telling the whole truth about them. And therefore, if they're not telling the truth about something as seemingly harmless as, say, a strange shape in a field, well, what else are they not telling the truth about? So that got me searching and meeting lots of other people who were investigating all kinds of other avenues. And as the years went by, I found myself drawn more and more to want to try to get a really balanced view of just why it is that so many people do question what they're told and seeing absolutely that there are very good grounds to do that. But, you know, what I've seen over the years is a lot of polarization growing. So I give a lot of lectures. I've written several books. The best known ones are The Truth Agenda and Conspiracies, which try to really get, you know, beneath the skin of all these uh, interests and beliefs, which the mainstream largely dismisses or laughs at. Um, and just trying to get the conversation going uh, because it is shut down and anybody that tries to speak about things like this doesn't generally get heard out anywhere in the mainstream uh, and therefore that that kind of discussion needs to be kept alive. So I've kind of taken on this mission really that 
that's that's what I'm going to try and do. It doesn't mean I have all the answers. I've never claimed that. But I do have a lot of questions that I think we should all be speaking about. Uh, and we should never make fun of somebody because they have a belief that seems to go against orthodoxy. Um, if you look back through history, you'll find they're often the people that have changed the world. And we need to allow that. Um, but at the moment, we're, we're now on a bent of people must be silenced. If they're not speaking what... You know, the authorities want them to speak, then they will be deplatformed, they will be taken away from public view, uh, and that's a very dangerous game in my view. And that's really what's led me to write the book that, that is now coming out now called The New Heretics, which in a way is kind of 30 years worth of accumulated observation about how we deal with this. It's not to say necessarily who is right or who is wrong, but to say everybody must be heard. If we don't hear people out, if we don't put it all on the table, we're going to wind up in a very foolish and a very dangerous world. Yes, uh, you referred to your new book there, as you say, The New Heretics. Um, subtitle is Understanding the Conspiracy Theories Polarizing the World. And you also just used the word uh, polarizing, which is really key in all of this. I mean, we can go back to, I mean, the, the term conspiracy theory in itself is so loaded, isn't it? It's so potentially problematic. We go back to the assassination of John F. Kennedy in the 60s um, and our definition of that, I believe the Warren Commission report which came out after that uh, was where that was mentioned. I don't know if the term existed prior to that. I think it did. But, you know, people sort of have uh, got so many issues with the term conspiracy theory, uh, you know, as if conspiracy is something that could potentially not exist depending on your belief system. I mean, the definition, dictionary definition of conspiracy is any covert plan involving two or more people. So clearly conspiracies are all around us and they happen all the time. But conspiracy theory, to label something a conspiracy theory can take some, you know, an avenue of inquiry and just completely write it off in terms of it being um, valid or having any meaning or usefulness. And, and this is something that you actually, uh, you know, you do wrestle with in the book, you know, you do address. I mean, I've always had a, a bit of an issue with the arguments over conspiracy theory. I mean, yes, that term has become one of abuse and it gets used as such, especially now. Uh, but if you just stand back and look at it, it's perfectly reasonable. As you say, there are very clearly conspiracies going on all around. Um, and you sometimes you don't know the big picture. You don't know entirely what's going on. So you're compelled to have to theorize about them. And I would say, well, what's wrong with that? You know, if you're theorizing about a conspiracy, I, I don't see any great negative thing about that. Um, so I think we need to sort of step back a bit and not even be offended if someone says, well, that's just a conspiracy theory. Because my response has always been yes. And have you seen why? And have you actually looked at the evidence as to why people think there was a conspiracy here? And nine times out of ten, they have never looked at that, of course. So, you know, I don't think we want to get too hooked up on that. But, yeah, we're now in a world where the conspiracy theorist is the number one enemy. And I think since the rise, especially of QAnon, which is, of course, the big uh, American movement, um, I, I think it's enabled everybody to be lumped into one extremist bracket, which isn't true at all. There are many nuanced opinions and views within the conspiracy world. Um, but it's easy just to put everybody in the same bucket of kind of mad person who might one day possibly uh, end up invading the U.S. Capitol building. And, of course, that, that was all they needed because now... 
anybody that starts to talk about things that question the official view, um, they always say, well, you could be potentially a dangerous insurrectionist then. So whereas conspiracy theorists were harmless eccentrics at some point, that's now changed. So we're now perceived as potentially dangerous people that must be silenced at all costs. So I think that that's what's especially changed since various COVID theories and the US capital invasion. And, you know, the book, opens by discussing those two things because that i think was the tipping point it was already building up we were already getting to the point where any channel that tried to discuss conspiracies in any serious way was being shut down uh, but but that tipped it and you know into what some truth seekers would say is now an open war uh, but if it is a war uh, it certainly wasn't a war that anybody else wanted but it's been declared on those who question and in a way, they're then pushed into the extremist bracket to try to deal with that. So it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is something else that the book deals with. Because if you won't allow someone to express something even reasonably, they will have to find harder and harder ways uh, to be heard. And we're seeing some of that now, you know, whether it be smoke bombs being let off at vaccine centres or whatever. Clearly, some people feel that, it, that you know, they no longer have a voice. And the danger of that is you, you wind up with a big lump under the carpet where it's been swept under there and nobody wants to talk about it, but everybody is tripping over it. So I think really that is where we're at today. And I'm trying to find ways out of that to lift the carpet without everybody going to war. But yeah, polarization, that's the key word in the subtitle of the book. Uh, and it's everywhere. It's not just conspiracy theorists versus orthodoxy. Everybody seems polarized, whether it be about race, class, actually anything, politics. Um, we've seen it all around us. We've seen it here, of course, with uh, Lee versus Remain in America. They've got Democrat versus Republican. But it, it's no longer just a kind of a, a slight ideological difference. It, it's a serious divide. And people do wind up, uh, yeah, I think getting to extreme measures uh, and demonizing the other instead of trying to understand them. And we've got to this world where trying to understand another viewpoint is seen as collusion. And that's a, a wrong, to me, that is a wrong road to take. Because when you do that, you, you're never allowed to show any empathy to the opposition, even just to try to understand why they're there. And you then are put into the same bracket as being that enemy. So this is something else that I think we've all really got to pull back from and apply some nuance if we want to get anywhere with this. Yeah, some of what you described there, that is trends that actually, that, that do really worry me. I recently had, and if he ends up listening to this, I don't think he will, but if he ends up listening to this, well, think on a friend who I've known for many years, uh, a highly intelligent individual who I respect, uh, categorized a recent gathering of demos demonstrators uh, who were what you would loosely describe as concerned about the direction of travel and society in the wake of the pandemic, you know, in terms of freedom and in terms of control and in terms of um, what they're being, what they feel they're being forced to do. Uh, or not a lot, on the other hand, not allowed to do. Uh, this friend described these people en masse, um, as vermin, uh, without, yeah. without knowing any of them individually, without yeah. speaking with any of them, without knowing what any of their concerns. And this is, th 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 these people would have been, uh, that were assembled recently or a disparate group 
all sorts, you know, men, women, children, families. And at the extreme end, there were probably people who think that, that Hitler is still alive and he lives on the moon or whatever. <laughs> and at the other end are people who uh, are a lot like you and I, and they're just, they're just a bit worried about things. You know, they're, they're, they're not, they're, they're on edge and they want reassurance and they're saying, look, I've got questions here and I want answers to them. But yeah, so that characterizes the polarization that we've been speaking about. And that was one of the parallels that I drew in my COVID 9-11 video was George Bush, the idiot boy junior said back then, uh, you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. You'll remember that, you know, I do indeed. black, yes. black and white, no nuance, no color, no opportunity to, uh, for a considered view you know, of anything. Mm. And that's it, that's happening now just on steroids, isn't it, really? It, it is. I mean, one of the chapters of The New Heretics, it, it lists some of the terms of abuse that uh, I've heard put towards conspiracy theorists just in the last year or so on the radio and the TV. Things like, you know, crackpots, deranged, bananas, nutters, wackos, and so on. The problem is, though... But obviously, whilst that is a ridiculous generalisation and completely insulting to people who actually have, you know, a, a lot of, uh, I think, genuine views that should be heard, what what happens is then you find that the, the truth-seeking world then does the same in reverse. And anybody they don't like suddenly becomes a Nazi, suddenly becomes, you know, a, a fascist. These are words that are, you know banded around all too easily and that in itself then becomes another very unhelpful generalization and that's when you wind up with the gulf this divide that cannot be bridged and i think everybody's got to pull back from that because most people have opinions about people without ever really truly knowing what makes them tick and as you're saying it, to describe a whole group of people as vermin without a, a genuine understanding i think is is a, not a wise path to take but sadly this does also happen in reverse and the truth world needs to be better than the people it's trying to fight yeah they're not all deranged or wackos or nutters but equally not everybody that uh, doesn't like their views is a nazi or a fascist you know so i think that's all got far too entrenched uh, and everybody seems to think that they can just keep going to the extreme end of their view, you know, forever into the echo chambers. And that's going to solve everything when it's just blindingly obvious that it isn't. And that all that's going to do is just create a lot of unhappiness and yet more grounds to crush conspiracy views. Because that's trouble. I mean, you know, whilst it is big, we've seen with things like QAnon and other movements, and as we're seeing now with the the anti-lockdown or, you know, people that question vaccines, not anti-vax, I have an issue with that term, that's just too broad, but that they... Um, they are a minority. They are a sizable minority and cannot be ignored. Um, but at the end of the day, we have to accept that, you know, those that do see us all as crackpots and nutters probably are the majority. But many have been led to think that without understanding a thing about why people question. So the book gives some detail, but it's not there to judge who's right. But it, it, you have to have a discussion about the discussion. And there are chapters that go through exactly why it is that people question everything from 5G to vaccines to whether President Trump should have won the last election. If you don't even understand the first thing about it, in my view, you shouldn't have an opinion. But lots of people have lots of opinions based on literally nothing. But that can work two ways. 
and all of us have to get informed and put everything on the table and don't just go with your gut i'm not saying that has no value but you have to balance that with what you can see in front of you when you weigh up the evidence uh, and at the moment what we're seeing is everybody just just choosing the truth based on you know where they've come from their doubts in authority you know everybody's wired one way or the other um and we all choose truths i mean the, there's a big part of the book which says that about how at the end of the day you can never be 100 percent sure that what you believe is correct all you can do is base it on probabilities but at least to do that is a sensible way of doing it to base it on nothing and sadly a lot of people do that and just from the anger they're carrying for whatever reason it is dangerous uh, and a lot of that is going on but that is happening on all sides and neither side therefore is going to come out of that too well i first got online um i think it was 1998 uh because i had to for work so uh, that's when i got a dial-up internet connection at home and that was just in time to observe some of the speculation around uh, Y2K, all that stuff, you know, in 1999. Sure. Uh, that was the first flare-up of, like, uh, you know, we're all going to die uh, that, that that I witnessed. And then not too long after that, of course, 9-11. Since that time, of course, uh, access to the World Wide Web has exploded exponentially. And in terms of what we're talking about, the role of technology the internet social media is huge now isn't it in facebook in itself is a very dark place these days and that has that has fueled the some of the some of the uh you know social and cultural phenomena that, that we're witnessing and that we're talking about and um it would be hard to imagine the world being the way it is right now without that uh connectivity you know that 24 7 um, instant access to stuff and, you know, that everybody's a, a, an opinion shaper now. You know, you can go online and whatever your uh, format happens to be, your, you know, Twitter, Facebook, you know, you, your your opinion can be broadcast potentially, doesn't really happen, but potentially to an audience of billions instantly. And that, that has that's had a huge effect on the, what we're witnessing now. It has. I mean, I... What I think it's done is exaggerate something that was already there. I mean, you can find polarization of some kind or another in virtually any historical age, you know. Um, the printing press, obviously, immediately had people putting stuff out there that wasn't very nice and other people opposing them. But, yeah, sure, this has changed everything because it's so instant and it's so widespread. And I think that's the other thing is that, you know, whereas before you might have thought a bit before you put an opinion out there, if only as long as it took you to put together a printed, you know, sheet, now people will put a thought out there immediately. And again, they're going from the gut. They see something, they immediately doubt it, or, you know, they go from their kind of base starting point of whether they trust authority or not. And something goes out, and it's instant, that's it. And, okay, you can put something out late and say, all right, I was wrong, but nobody likes to do that. Um, so I think it, it's it's that as much as anything that is the problem, is that, I mean, you know, there's a lot of good things about social media. I don't think we should be too broad, but, yes, the dark bits are very dark. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, then if you shut that down, that's just yet another avenue of human thought being closed off. Uh, at least it shows you kind of where we're at. Uh, and I think at the moment, 
this race to just take anybody away that says anything now, even slightly that algorithms don't like. I, I don't think it's a solution either, because all you're doing is pushing them onto BitChute and you know other platforms where it's possible to put out harder opinions, but then you find you're only mixing with those harder opinions. So that's the classic echo chamber thing. And then you don't, you don't hear the other side. There is no balance and people get ever harder uh, and more extreme and then unreachable in terms of trying to reason with them. Um, so yeah, I mean, the digital age, which as I describe it in the book, has changed everything and I think we forget sometimes in a way we're very lucky we've lived on the cusp of this um, you know you and I I suspect we grew up in a time before that and we can see the good side of the old world and also some of the inconveniences of the old world and we've also got to step into this new world that youngsters of course now take for granted but they don't know what went before they don't know how slow the movement of information was before uh, and they equally don't know the benefits of that now they have benefits that we can hardly glimpse and where that goes i don't know but this is a unique generation where you have people now who can remember the pre-digital world and the post-digital world and i think we've underestimated the impact of that and how, you know, people plugged in constantly to information, just clicking towards them at incredible speeds is changing the very way the brain works. Uh, and that's something else that I think is underestimated. So it's not just changing us in sort of exaggerating our behavior because we've got quicker access to more people and their sort of distinct opinions. But it, it it's also taking us into a realm where suddenly you have a, a feeling that anything could happen at any time because there there is no limit there is no limit and people are pushed to the max with information and they haven't got the time to sift it they haven't got the time to sit down and be nuanced and yet without nuance you know that's where the polarization begins so this is this is the issue we've got it's a fast quick world out there in the digital world some people struggle with it other people seem to have adapted to it but you know we're just at that kind of key moment where we're beginning to leave behind what i call the horse and cart era you know i can still remember horse and carts coming up my road with a rag and bone man uh, now that would that would seem incredible to some people today who've grown up in this world of high tech but but that wasn't so long ago so we don't appreciate just how quickly things have changed uh, and how massively they've changed and that, that we as human beings are still adapting and we've got to find a balance but i do not think that blanket censorship is the answer equally i don't think people should be there putting out a load of hatred hate speech is hate speech and there are already laws to deal with that. But at the moment, what's happening is the boundaries are blurry. Uh, that's a serious issue. And where something used to be just a reasonable, different opinion, even two or three years ago, suddenly it's being branded hate speech. And I do think authorities use that to close people down that they just don't like, rather than because these people are saying anything that is particularly harmful. And we're going more and more into that. And we're seeing that, obviously, with cancel culture and all the arguments about woke and so on. Uh, but it is an issue. And yeah, because now if you offend somebody, you are deemed to be an offender, you know, not just somebody that expressed an opinion they didn't like. Um, you, we get in new tiers of kind of like social criminals who've dared to voice something. Uh, and they're all 
being lumped together with the ones that really are putting genuine hate speech out there. So that's the problem. And, and that's why everybody's got to just pull back and come back to the middle a bit. Doesn't mean having to change your view, but it does mean just stopping to consider why somebody else might feel the way they do. But we need to understand that they still have a right to have that opinion rather than just to try and take it away because I have been offended or upset by it, you know. In... um. 2006, 2007, I can't remember exactly which year, and I've referred to this in another recent uh, broadcast. I had a conversation in a forum for a magazine I was working for at the time. It was a music magazine, so you know nothing to do with uh, what we're talking about. And it was with a guy who was you know young enough to be my son. He was like 20, 25 years younger than me. And even back then, so 9-11 had been and gone, but obviously everything that's unfolding now was still to come. And we got onto the topic of freedom, you know, what you can say, what you can do, where you can go, what you can be. And he had a vision of possibility in those terms that was very narrow. And I was trying to explain to him how free I felt in the 1980s compared to no, never mind now, but back then, uh, just to, to go places, do things, say things, whatever, be things. And, there, you know, there wasn't any, there weren't people running around after you trying to shut you down and police you. And he couldn't grasp it. He psycholog psychologically, intellectually could not grasp it. And I remember him typing the words, I don't understand the kind of freedom that you mean. He just <clears throat> couldn't get it. And that no. was that was at a time when nothing much was going on. So, and I see that very much right now with some younger people. I, I don't know. I can't imagine what it would be like to go through some of your defining years. You know, some of your big life. You know, uh, whatever it happens to be. You know, puberty, your teenage years. Uh, you know, going to university, having your first job. What all that looks like in this current era and how that affects the rest of your life. But it's, whatever it is, it's profound. And we will, I guess we will see the results in the, in the years to come. Uh, I think we're seeing the results now, of course. I mean, you mentioned 9-11 there. It seems incredible to people now that before 9-11, which isn't that long ago, really, um, you could sometimes get on an aeroplane and nobody even bothered to check anything. But this seems incredible. People can't believe it now. If you forgot your passport and you were trying to fly to Ireland, they just wave you on. I mean, you, you couldn't even conceive of that now. So, yeah, people have grown up with a lot more control around them. Uh, and the interesting thing about that is the generations coming through that know no better or no different, perhaps I should say, um, they not only can they not conceive the level of freedom that we have, they don't think it's a good thing. Uh, there have been polls uh, of kind of what the, the younger generations, for want of a better term, believe about free speech. Many of them don't think free speech is even a good thing because, again, they see it just as an avenue to uh, offend people and say things that they don't want to hear. And I think that's the danger that we're, we're going into a world now where you are not allowed to voice something if it is uncomfortable for somebody else because there is a movement to be thinking, well, then you're harming them, so you shouldn't do that. But sometimes you have to challenge what is going on, 
otherwise you can't move forward. Every system ever in human history has worked like that. You know, it, we move forward, we evolve by in some way moving on from what was in the past and hopefully making it better. But you can usually only do that by identifying what has been wrong in the first place. But now it's getting to the point where you can't identify what's wrong. If you say, well, I think that's wrong about this group of people here, somebody will say, well, you've, you've, you've trodden on their rights by saying that, haven't you? Instead of, okay, well, that's your view. I don't agree, but, you know, it's an interesting view. Now, that we've changed. So freedom, they, they will see freedom as a path to people being hurt. And, you know, I think there is an exaggeration of the snowflake generation. But I do think that there is a, a mindset which has got so sensitive now that it, it's become very hard to have just normal conversations about things without somebody getting so upset that they want to stop you saying something. So, therefore, there is no freedom. And you do wonder where that goes. So you've got the authoritarian move of various governments at the moment uh, in all manner of ways. But you've also got a social authoritarianism coming in where people are policing themselves and, you know, things that we would have happily just chatted about only a few years ago. They now see that as a bad thing. So, yeah, I think there's a divide. I think the, the generation that grew up in the 60s and the 70s, what they call freedom is not what people who've grown up in the 2000s onwards would call freedom. It's a different mindset. So, again, we're on that cusp. We can remember the old way. We can see where it is now. And there are some strengths and weaknesses to both sides. You know, nothing is, is all one side or the other. But, uh, yeah, it's a bit scary to see that freedom is seen actually by some as a threat now. And that's not good. No, and, and I've read a lot and heard a lot about positive dimensions of the the attitudes and the ways of seeing the world of younger generations again you know i don't know if you've got kids but you know t t people who are you know young enough to be our children basically and younger <clears throat> being more sensitive to um people's concerns and needs and you know more sensitive to you know the environment and things that maybe back in the 1980s were kind of not considered, you know, that was, oh, well, you know, who cares about that? Who gives a toss? You know, that's, but that we later realized that actually we're, these are things we need to be concerned about. You know, it might be, you know, economic issues, social issues, environmental issues, whatever. But there's definitely a line between that concern and the, the, the kind of slightly dysfunctional, as we would see it, thought patterns or behavior that you've just described so i do get it you know I, I i we're an evolving species you know and we should be more cognizant and pay more attention to uh certain issues you know we, we, we're we're at one with this planet and all life on earth we're a part of it we are not separate from nature and we spent a lot of time i think you know trying to pretend that wasn't the case so it's important that we acknowledge that if we're to survive as a species but there is a flip you know a flip side to that as well i mean in the chapters of the book that discuss all this what we're talking about now i'm very careful not to get into that thing of shaking the fist at the young it's so easy to do that they have many gifts that we don't have i think in many ways they're more moral I mean, I've got four children and stepchildren in various orders. Um, 
and they're wonderful people and we see the world through their eyes but it's not quite the way that we see the world but there's many strengths and you know i'm very careful not to get into that thing of kind of saying oh you know the good old days uh, yeah there were some good things but there were also some crap things about the old days and i think they're far more aware like you say they have concerns about things that maybe we didn't think were important now perhaps we know differently but as ever why polarize it's a bit like Greta Thunberg you know a lot of people kind of took great offense that a teenager was trying to tell them what to do and on one level I understand it because you know if you're getting harangued all the time it can be irritating but rather than make her the enemy you know some conspiracy sites just see her as a shill working for the new world order you know maybe let's look at what's good that's come through from that it's galvanized some uh, younger people who maybe previously weren't really galvanized by anything are they galvanized in the right way well that's something people have to decide for themselves but you know it's not all bad but i, I think again it's very easy to get into another polarization so that's another one old versus young whereas how about we see what's good and the good energy that, that the younger generations have and what's great about them and try to offer our wisdom from the deeper past you know that's that's the way the world should work but at the moment it, it's constantly and the media does this all the time stirring up one generation against another and i don't think that's helpful now you know i hope the way i've written the book i've gone out of my way not to do that because the, you know that's not how it is nothing as we've said earlier nothing is black and white like that uh, so we need to see the strengths as well as being able to voice what we think might be a weakness that they need to look out for will anybody listen well who knows but if you don't say it and if you're not allowed to say it then yeah sure there will be no good development at all that concludes part one of our interview part two will be available soon in the subscribers area at legalizefreedom.com legalizefreedom.com dot com